500 and growing, 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 growing. Podcast. Dedicated to the underdog, cause I see you Working on your craft, getting strong, cause I see you. Ready to set it off and on, cause I see you. Correcting all that is wrong, cause I see you. Cause I see you. Cause I see you. I'd like to welcome the audience to the 500 and Growing Podcast. My name is Jesus Azteca 500 Sanchez, and our guest is Tyson New Life Sanchez. is a doctor of physical therapy, a run coach, and a world music collector DJ. He founded his Oakland-based mobile physical therapy clinic in 2018. He's licensed in physical therapy in both California and Illinois. He also provides ergonomic assessment, personal training, and mobility training to anyone anywhere else in the world that has internet access. He is also a DJ whose world travels inspired the creation of the FEX party, Foreign Exchange, founded in 2009, a party that was dedicated to exposing his hometown of Chicago to different cultural flavors in the nightlife scene and solidifying it as an international destination for music. With hip hop and a house DJ background and mixed aesthetics, New Life honors and upholds this legacy in a unique fashion. Over the years, he's channeled the inspiration from his travels into the sound that is morphed into a fusion that you'd have to experience to understand. New Life continues to DJ and produce music that brings people closer to the cultures of the world and closer together as people. He has brought his style of mixing music to music lovers during the pandemic via a monthly world music mix called World Over that can be heard on SoundCloud, which can be accessed in the description. Everybody, please welcome Tyson New Life Sanchez. All right, all right, all right. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, how you doing, Tyson? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me. No problem, brother. Tea is really good, by the way. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we try over here at 500 and Growing Podcast. I like it. I invited you to the podcast so that you'd be able to share some of your your thoughts, some of your history. Um, you've been DJing for a really long time. Uh, I've been at your FEX parties here at Chicago at the subterranean and 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 just like vibing out to the music and and was always like shazamming you <laughs> you know on the down low don't tell nobody though um on the unders yeah because I was always astonished by the music and I didn't know what it was so I was just like when that technology came out I was just like yo I'm going to this party and making sure I know everything that just got played but um but yeah so this podcast is really to to inspire people, especially people that are in a rut, in mm-hmm. some some type of rut, uh, or have just come out of a rut, to be able to like create or be able to f- fulfill their f- truest potential, right? Their fullest potential. Mm-hmm. And so, what we're gonna go through is we're gonna go through what it was like to grow up, the the fork in the road moments that you had, and then what you're doing right now. You know, what was it like growing up? Growing up was, I had a someone asked me this recently. I had a great childhood. You know, I had a really great childhood and, you know, it's all relative, right? So we didn't have money, you know, single parent household for the most part. Dad wasn't around. I grew up in Logan Square in Chicago and, um, um, yeah, I, I, there were kids, you know, I'm, I'm from an era where we went outside and played and I was really active, uh, climbing trees, garages, you know, you know, just outside playing sports. I mean, year round, I was, I was just out there doing it, like really, um, being active, um, from like, you know, breaking my neck when I was about 11 years old to like knee injuries, like early on. Um, but yeah, I had, I had a, uh, we, we didn't have much. We really didn't have much at all. We had my mom who was like the sergeant in the house and, um, keeping us in line. She was, everybody knew she was like the strictest mother, in the in the neighborhood pretty much she's also like the neighborhood barber so she like i didn't have like a real haircut till i was like 13 so she cut my hair my brother's hair she cut everybody's hair um but yeah growing up in logan square was um was dope um and uh i, I didn't until like more recently 
I mean, we get to the part where I moved to California about six, seven years ago now, but you know, there's also like, it was a gang infested neighborhood, you know, and, and, uh, the majority of these people that I, that I'm talking to you about that I ran around in the streets with are no longer here, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, as a kid seeing that around you, you think, okay, this is normal. This is how, this is how it is for everybody. And then you become an adult and you get through life and you start to leave, you know, Logan square and the city and you're, 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 um, you know, you see that there's a different reality and certain things you came up around, certain things you saw and experienced wasn't, it wasn't, uh, exactly, um, wasn't normal really. What was it like not growing up with a father? Like it, it's interesting because I reflect back on that, um, quite a bit, you know, um, like even more recently. So my, my dad and my mom had me when they were 19, you know what I'm saying? So they, they, they were kids they didn't get along. You know, my parents are both sort of difficult people in their own way, as many of us can be. Um, but they just didn't get along. And, and, uh, my dad would come around just very sparingly. And, uh, I was very fortunate in that, um, you know, both my parents, uh, they have lots of siblings. I had lots of aunts and uncles that sort of filled in the gaps, um, where, where my, my parents, um, really couldn't, you know, um, so, you know, the, the, but, you know, they weren't there to, to, he, my dad more specifically, um, uh, wasn't there in certain moments where I needed him, you know, to protect me from certain things again, that I did see, that I did experience, that I was exposed to. So, um, that was, um, you know, it's interesting because I, I think I dealt with that early on. So I know, uh, you know, speaking to my partner about this actually, and even my therapist, you know, there's, there's like this, this suspicion that, you know, have I compart, have I really dealt with this? Have I processed that? And I think I did, because obviously there were painful moments as a kid when you're like at the window and like, oh, Poppy's coming, Poppy's coming and Poppy don't show up. And it's like, damn, you know, and you remember, well, I remember now like bawling and shit and just being disappointed because you want to beat your pops, right? You're like, you're a young man and you're like wired to your father. You know what I mean? Like biologically wired to your father. And, um, so there were painful moments, um, as a kid, but I really th think through the fortune of having a lot of really loving family members and friends and friends, families, you know, around me, I think they really helped fill the gaps. So again, I, 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 I definitely had a good childhood. Growing up, what, what were some of the things that you saw that you wanted to change? You know, it wasn't a conscious thought, but something drove me to like do well in school and something drove me to like want to do things with my life that took me out of poverty. Because I, I didn't I even know I was poor at the, at a young age because everyone around me, you know, didn't have things and we didn't have, it's, it's interesting, like none of my friends had fathers either, you know, that were around or, and, um, and I didn't realize that at the time. I was just like, oh yeah, you know, mom, let's go ask your mom. And then again, as you age, you start saying like, well, yo, where's, <laughs> where's, where's father? So anyway, um, the things I wanted to change, and you, you'll get this, I'll, I'll repeat this, I think, through a lot of this interview um, about how fortunate I was and that, um, you know, a lot of decisions were made for themselves. So I wanted to change, there was this underlying current within me to like do well in school, to, um, um uh, you know, get a, get a good job and then to help people, you know what I'm saying? And that's, that's what I wanted to change. There was no one around that I felt was like helping me or guiding me or mentoring me in the way that I really needed. No one, no one for an extended period of time. Like my mom was busy just trying to keep the household together and providing for us. And, um, you know, she didn't come from like a, a background, a, a scholarly background, or she didn't come from, um, uh, entrepreneurial family or anything like that. So, um, I wanted to, um, you know, do the best I could to, to piece all that together. And it, because I, I don't think I had that mentorship, it took me until like more recently in life to like, Hey, this is how I become an entre entrepreneur. And this, this is how I continue my education. Like it's, it's all about continuing to learn. Um, how did you find that support? How did you, I mean, so if, if you're, you didn't have the father figure, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, what, what did you lean on to support you dur during that time mm -hmm. when you needed support or nothing supported you and you just. 
No, I mean, that's where, like, in particular, my, my uncle, my godfather, my brother, sorry, my father's youngest brother, um, my dear Ricardo, he was, he's also my godfather. He just, like, he's the closest thing. I have a few uncles, him being probably the one that was around me the most, leading by example, really. And so, you know, he never came out and, like, you know, told me what to do. But he showed me what to do. He showed me like, you know, he had he had his first kid at 15 and like married his wife. He, they're still together, you know, and, and like I, I he so when you when you, you know, when you look at like how what I guess images or what thoughts or what molding or and I'm sorry, I'm not even thinking of the right word. You know, if you think about a, what a father was, he's definitely a great father and, a, and an even like equally amazing man. So I think I leaned into him a lot um, for guidance. Um, and, and again, I think I just wanted to not be in the situation I was in, but I don't think I even realized that at the time. That's the, the funny thing. Um, I didn't have the wherewithal or the, the understanding to, to know that, you know, I wasn't in a good place. I just know that while I had a good childhood, there were a lot of moments where I was just unhappy. You know what I mean? I, I remember being frustrated a lot because I'm the oldest of the th my, my mom's three kids. And so at like eight, nine years old, I'm going to the laundromat to wash everybody's clothes. I'm like, you know, we didn't have money to dry the clothes. I'd take the wet clothes, bring them home and hang them up, you know? And I would like carry the wagon and walk a mile to Jewel and get like grocery. And, you know, I, I just, I was like, <laughs> I was very mature back then. <laughs> and, um, Mm -hmm. And so it was, uh, you know, those things, I think that unhappiness was like, yo, this is kind of the sure way to get out of this. And why don't you go and do right in school? And so, yeah. And then how, what was your relationship like with your mom? Ooh, me and my mom, uh, did not get along especially well. Um, and I, you know, not to like give her excuses. I love my mom. I've got a great relationship with my mom now, but we butt heads a lot. She had to be more of, a, of an authoritative figure. And I think, I think, I know if she could do it all over again, she would have, but you know, that's, it's hard being a parent. It's hard to let your kid be who they are naturally and also discipline them in a way that they need. And that's always like the battle and the unique um, exchange between a parent and a, um, and a child. And, you know, so it wasn't good. You know, I remember saying some, some pretty awful things and thinking some awful things about my mom, not understanding, like she's just doing what she's got to do, you know, and you got to sit there and take it and you got to do your chores and you got to go do this laundry and you got to, and I, and I know you'd rather be out playing. I get it, but you got to like, I credit her with a lot for, um, uh, you know, making me, the mostly disciplined person that I am. I can relate to that. My mom um, didn't want me to end up like my dad. And so she was mm. really adamant about like making sure that I was disciplined, making sure that I would fulfill everything that I set out to do uh, because my dad had big dreams, but never really accomplished much. Mm. And so um, she definitely raised me in the opposite way that my grandmother raised my father. Mm. But in that was tough love. And that tough love, uh, we, we got along until I became a teenager and started really diving into hip hop. And then there was a point where it was just like, you know, you can't be getting home at three o'clock in the morning. Right. And that, hip hop ruined a lot of relationships between kids and their parents. Man, <laughs> that, that was like a, a, a point of like contention. And yeah. I was just like, she was like, yo, you can't stay here if you're going to stay out until three o'clock. I was like, well, I'm performing my like, right, right. I got to do this. Like, right. I love what I'm doing. How did you start DJing? Um, so I, in Logan Square at the time, there were, I mean, there were, I mean, everybody, not everybody, a lot of people were DJing. A lot of people got their hands on turntables and I, I actually didn't have my first set of vinyl turntables and until I was like in my mid twenties. I, I would just, I would have a handful of records and I would go to friends' houses um, with my records or I just used their records and I got my chop. I was like 13. So I was like in seventh, eighth grade 
um, going to my guy Mark's house, DJ Bots, who was like one of the dopest DJs of the time. This was back in like the literary explosion days, um, back in Wicker Park. I don't know if you know, but like you're rubbing elbows with like maybe Commons down there, maybe you know uh, Kanye West is down there, and a bunch of other like early legends, uh, Gravity, and like. So anyway, that, that was a dope scene back then, and I started like playing out just a little bit um, in my later teens, but mostly just like carrying Mark's records. And I have an uncle who was married into the family, DJ Magic Juan, and I think I got most of my my mix style from him, and really learned the most about you know the Chicago style of blending. And he was a straight up just disco house head, and he was extra dope. Um, but I just had a lot of friends when I was a kid who were around me who were DJing. Um, and it was just part of what we, what we did. There was a, there was a guy real quick, um, this guy, uh, by the name of miles and he would come out in the summer and set up like a sound system essentially, uh, with all like reggae records. And he would just, you know, I didn't even, that was like my first exposure to reggae and to like um uh sound like a little sound system culture it wasn't like a big deal but he was just like oh look at this guy out here with his turntable like playing damn that's kind of dope and so that was like some of the first exposure i had to music that was uh not being played on the radio and then of course you know all the house music i was spoke when i learned djing it was all just there were only house records you can really get and some disco yeah there was nothing there wasn't there wasn't a lot of hip-hop records that i got my what, what years were these um so this was like this was late 80s early 90s okay so yeah so you know you could find hip-hop records but at the places where i would go and check out records or where my friends were going to check out records records whatever it was just mostly um mostly house music oh for sure because chicago's yeah. the the foundation of house so Mm -hmm. You would figure that, that that would be prevalent. Yeah. And if I had more resources, I'm sure I could have tracked down some hip hop. But remember, this is all pre-internet and pre like me having a job and all that shit. So um so yeah. Did you learn like watching or did you learn like actually like somebody teach you step by step how to do things? Just doing, man. I didn't have a, a, a mentor or anyone except like that's not totally true. Like my, my 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 uncle Juan uh, that was mainly like me watching him like, what? oh, damn, look how he does. Look how he rides the fader during this blend. You know, he doesn't touch the record at all. Mm -hmm. But it was mostly no one sat me down and said, you know, this is how you do it. Along the way, you pick up pointers. Yeah. But I think it's mostly watching and doing. You got to get the hand practice in. You got to train your ear. You have to get your hands to do things without you having to think about them. Your ear tells you, okay, the bass is a little high when these two records are together. Let me cut the bass on this without thinking because you're really thinking about, you know, maybe what's the next song you want to play or how do I want to come out of this song? So there's a lot of moving parts. So For that, sure, man. Yeah, that like just been, takes, yeah. I've been trying to mix on on this thing. And, and so it's just like, there are moving parts so like you'll put an effect on and you forgot you put the effect on and then you start playing the next record and you wonder why it's not sounding like nothing's coming out and you're just like oh or you put the fader on the wrong way yeah and you're just like oh man so then you have to like restart and it's just like it's training your mind to like automatically do these things is really yeah. really interesting and and the more you practice and I'll, i'm tapping into my sort of my 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 PT had a little bit, the more you practice, the more you find like, okay, my hands are actually doing the things and I'm not thinking about it. So it's like wired into your spinal cord almost. You're like, yeah. again, your mind is like looking at the audience, thinking about the music that's playing and what you're going to play. And the hands just kind of, they kind of do what they need to do. And that only comes from repetition, repetition, rep. It's like that doing it 10,000 times, you know, theory. Um, so there's no, no real shortcut. I don't think. What was it like the first time that you went up on the tables and you 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 like did it in officially in front of people where it wasn't just like you were just like you you were the you were the person that they were asking to come and 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 it was just like it was a big deal for you. I mean, it's constant nerve. It's nerves, you know. You you you're nervous more so than I still get nervous um, in some instances, but it's less so about like my capabilities and what I'm going to do. It's more nerves around like the other moving parts that go into doing a gig and, and promotion and, and, you know, dealing with, um, dealing with, you know, booking folks and, and, and all that sort of thing. It's more like the, 
the 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 math and the 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 things that go on behind the scenes and it's it's more like um you have i have to remind myself like this is all about having a good time so don't get too wrapped up in in the in the things that can go wrong just you know um um have fun because there's if you're not having fun doing this then probably just stay in your bedroom because you, you, you you're not gonna have more fun than that to be totally honest um if you're too worried about about all the things that can go wrong and the, the, you know the things that djs deal with so but yeah it, it's it was nervous nerve-wracking first time i went up what are those things that you would like advise a dj to look out for the more you hone your craft the less you find yourself having to chase people down to chase gigs down to make sure that people are doing kind of what they agreed to do and all that sort of thing. I think the, 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 the doper DJ you are, the, the more people flock to you to book you, the more, um, you know, uh, you, you, you have people drawn to what you're doing. And so, um, you don't want to, you try not to, to chase all this down. You, you just create, be dope and, and you'll attract the right, uh, the right moves from from people, I guess, digging into your music or digging your music and what you're doing, what you're sharing, to like the people who want to book you, to like the people, the sound people, even like, oh, I know him. He works. He works well. He comes with it. He like, he knows what he's doing. You know, you make other people's job easier, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of everyone likes that, right? Everyone likes to have their job made a little bit easier. Um, you know, no one wants to book you if you're like, you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> you can be yeah, really sure. dope. You can be really dope. Oh, this guy's an amazing DJ. Crowd loves him. But yo, he's like, he's late. You know, he, you know, he's weird with the whole money thing and that conversation. He, you know, he's got a rider. He wants like a bottle of mo with it. You know, it's just, it, it, can, it can get ridiculous. And so I, I try not to take it all, you know, too seriously. And I, I know, I, I have a good idea of where I sit. You know, I'm not... I'm not a world famous DJ. I love what I do, but I know, I know I'm no, you know, Qbert. I'm no, and, and to be honest, I never tried to be, I'm just trying to like share what I do and have like, uh, bring forth. That's my creative outlet. You know, it's not a hobby. It's, it's not a job either. It's like somewhere in the middle. It's something, it's just something I do. And and so world over and then, um, and then FEX, like, so you, you got inspired by traveling. How, how did that, how did that, happened so fex um there's a backstory and so again like my first i think exposure to what for lack of a better term we'll use called you know world music was 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 miles playing you know a reggae 45s when i was you know i don't know 10 11 years old or something real early um and then you know i've always been drawn to polyrhythms and so you don't find that in a lot of American pop music. And that's pretty much what you listen to. And then house music is just like four on the floor. So if I heard something like a Todd Terry record or, or something that just had some more polyrhythmic um, drum patterns, I was drawn to it. Um, and so, you know, started DJing early and I was always like trying to get my hands on things that sounded different. Um, started traveling a bit really went on like first road trips, like 19, 20 years old before that didn't, didn't travel, but you know, long road trips and then started leaving the country. But, um, fast forward to like, you know, after learning on house and then really considering myself more of a hip hop DJ, just really getting away from the monotony of what house music can be. Um, like I went to Sonatech actually, and this was like 2010, maybe something like that. And um, Buraka Som Sistema was playing this this group out of Lisbon. Maybe you're familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they put on a dope show. Um, they had this female MC. It was uh, Branco, who you might know of. He's he was like the mastermind on production, and it was just a really dynamic show. And I was like, yo, I'm I'm gonna um, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a party of just all this, this music that's made elsewhere or really influenced by music that's from somewhere else. Mm. And that's about the time I met David Lozano. I met him through like a mutual friend, Julio Villegas. And, um, 
he's like, yo, my friend needs, uh, he needs some help, man. He, uh, David was doing some parties at uh, Funky Buddha Lounge. Yeah, the kitchen sink. Yeah, I was doing that. And, uh, you know, I started, I got to know David then. I was playing some gigs there. And I was like, yo, you've got like, I got a little bit of social capital on the north side. You got a little bit of social capital on the south side. I want to do, this is what I want to do. I want to play a party where like, at the time, early on, I was like, I don't want anything that's made in these in the states or anything that sounds like it's made in the United States played at this party. I want to just do something different because there's a lot of dope hip hop parties, a lot of dope house parties, R and B. You can hear all that, but you really can't go anywhere to listen to this. And I got a lot of this. You know, at that time, I was like, um, I'd already traveled to Brazil. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Puerto Rico. I've been like, I started really getting that travel bug, and like that's where my finances, as I saved. Uh, you know, my money for it was like to, to travel and I would go to where I liked the music and, uh, you know, come back with CDs of music and or just like, you know, touch the ground of where this music was made, like meant a lot. Um, that has to be like super powerful, right? Because like you're you're actually immersed in the music. Like it's not like you're you're not in your house listening to something. It's like going to a different country and like... Yeah just being immersed in the in the language yeah and and not only the language but it's like all five senses you're smelling you got you, you know there's a particular smell that's a that's occurring while you're listening to a song you're seeing you know visions if you you know if you're in the favelas in, in, in brazil and there's you have a visual of like a 12 year old holding like a, an elephant rifle and it makes you a little nervous but then there's this this uh funk carioca track playing and then you've got like someone hand you handing you some caipirinha anyway it's just, there's a lot of moving parts so it's 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 beyond like you know hearing it there and hearing the language it's like the the, the experience that boom you know has it sink in with had it sink in with me you know i'm not trying to speak for everybody but those, those are some of the things that that traveling did for me is like okay i know i'm not brazilian but um, I like what they're listening to, and I feel like something. In, maybe it's something in my DNA. Maybe it's something that uh, my ancestors. You know, there's some connection. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Not to get like, you know, super weird with it all, but I, I, I've considered all these things. Like it's just part of um, what draws me to music, and that's that's what solidified it. Yeah, and I want to let the audience know about the FEX uh, parties. Like they mm-hmm. they were incredible and it, it must have Thanks, been man. like um interesting to to fill a niche that wasn't filled before right mm-hmm. like you were playing things that like people would just like snap into a trance on and they, they would just the next beat would come you wouldn't know what it was but it was so dope that you would just keep dancing to it mm. and so thanks yeah yeah those, those those nights were really dope i was always you know in the corner just like dancing by myself you know mm. like like vibing out to the music and yeah. then and then again shazamming my ass off yeah you know <laughs> so no the thing is uh with with that night what was what i'm most proud of is um the fact that you know the result of it is like yeah there's a legacy like i did it for 10 years well not i but we did it for 10 years and i'll i can go into like more about the dynamics of the group um and then you know at the 10 year mark i looked around i was like yo we don't even live in chicago anymore but anyway the music was dope and not only the people I met, but how it just brought people together. So I've, I've had like multiple, <laughs> there are babies out there because of, you know, two people who've met at the parties, you know, mm-hmm. some FEX babies out there in the, in the world, which is dope, but it brought together like the B-boys. It brought together the house heads. It brought together the, like the, the, you know, everybody, people who are more to like dance hall and, and modern music. They're like, yo, this is, this is like, it became its, its own with scene, like involving all the other scenes. So it was a good, like melding pot of all of that. Yeah. Um, and it was like, it was amazing. I, I, it was really a great time, and I and I I look at at those years fondly. I think looking back at FEX, it was probably only twenty. There was a catalyst, like twenty five to th- you know maybe fifty percent of that overall experience. It was like David Lozano, like you know being the lovable dude he is, and people just liking to be around him. It was it was MC Zulu being like really good on the mic and just like an amazing personality and his social capital that he brought and his interest in love. It was Itzinala, you know, uh, Dave Marquez who like brought the the 
also like the the social awareness and the artistic talent and the musical talent. He was kind of like the jack of all trades of the crew. It took all of that, and and then the one purpose we all had like one purpose, and we 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 all aligned there, and we had slightly different perspectives and approaches, and it was mostly harmonic har- harmonious, but a lot of times we didn't agree about everything. But um, but yeah, all of that you know we were all we were all scattered, you know we're all living in different parts of the country, no one on the ground, we didn't see the people that we saw anymore, we weren't in contact with them, we you know things had changed with the venue at, at uh, Sub T just a bit with like you know, the agreement we had and all that things, things change, you know. Is there anything that you would tell your younger self now being a little bit wiser, being a little bit more mature or a lot more mature, right? Being a grown adult, like mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself when you were younger to, to, to help you grow mm-hmm. that you kind of had to learn on the hard, the hard way. And mm-hmm. then how did you learn it the hard way? Yeah. So I guess I'd have to be succinct with this because so many things come to to mind as you bring that up. But you know, going back to my, to like, let's, let's just say like the formative years, right? Like before eight years old, right? And I would say like, rebel a little bit more. I, I would have probably broken the rules a little bit more. I think, you know, I, my mom kept, she ran such a tight ship that I think it, it resulted in me sort of not um, wanting to call her outside the lines enough. I wish I could go back and be like, yo, um, call her outside the lines a little bit more. It's okay. You know, she yells at you. It's okay. You know, this is not about you. This is about some of the issues that your mom has. You know what I mean? Don't take it personally. She's going to yell at you, but you'll be all right. I remember being a young person and having like just out there thoughts and wanting to do things that were just different from, from the way I wanted to comb my hair to the way I wanted to dress. And she gave me the freedom with a lot of those things. So I, I'm using that term like color outside the lines figuratively more like with how I did things maybe around the house or the way I communicated or what, you know, so that's, that's one thing. And then when I went to high school, I went to Tulane, like all my friends end up going to, to uh, Clemente and I could have at the time of my life at Clemente, but I got accepted in Tulane and went to like this, this, you know, quote unquote good high school and had a rough time. But anyway, during my high school years, um, I lived with my dad for like two or three months. That didn't go well, long story short. And I lived with my, with his parents, my grandparents. And so, um, they had already raised seven, eight kids. So it's like they had it down. I had no curfew. I had like all the freedom and all the unconditional love and all the, like, um, the space and the, uh, safety of like wanting to do what I wanted. My, my, my grandfather would like you know, I'm 14 years old. And he's like, here, you want to take the car to go like to your neighborhood to get a haircut or whatever? Nice. You want to like, you know, you, you want a beer? You know, it was like, he saw I had a good head on my shoulders, mm-hmm. I think. And, and like gave me like all sorts. He like, the rope went. They trusted you. They trusted me. The rope went from being like, you know, six to 12 inches with my mom to being like, yo, six to 12 miles. You know, I come home when I want. But what I would have told that person back then is like, I didn't help out. I was like too busy, like diving into like all this freedom I had. I didn't help out enough around the house. Grandfather was always tinkering with things, whether he was fixing one of his cars or fixing around the house. And I don't think I offered to help him once, you know? And so I would have told myself like, yo, be grateful, uh, go, go do some things. And those things that you're talking about, like how have you addressed them as an adult? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm still addressing them. So Life as I see it, or at least my life, has been like this continued learning process, right? Where like, I think I know more now than I did two, three years ago when it comes to, um, you know, how to move in life. And that's, that's just, you know, if you approach, I approach my life as like, I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to be better. You're, you kind of regret that you didn't, you didn't, uh around the house and you didn't help your your grandfather especially when he was tinkering things which is something that i can relate to because there was a certain point in my life where i was like all about emceeing all about performing getting home at three o'clock in the morning mom invited she was an avon lady she would invite me to like she invited me to louisiana to to new orleans because they were going to give like the the top avon ladies an award mm. and she was like you want to go with me and i was like no i got to do this and i got to do that right and and one thing that i told elders 
in in like after she passed away and like really decompressing all of this like uh, uh like anger but then also shame but then also like uh regret that i have with the relationship that i had with my mom mm-hmm. they were like you were a teenager dude mm-hmm. like you thought like a teenager like you're approaching this from an adult mind frame right. and an adult mind frame would actually consider other people but you were living your life and it's okay for you to live your life mm-hmm. and, and you don't have to feel bad for not going with her to Louisiana mm-hmm. and to New Orleans, you know? So how, the question was like, how do you deal with it now as an adult? Like, how have you come to terms with it? Mm-hmm. You got to forgive yourself. You have to let things go. And that if, if I have a superpower, I think it's, it's that, you know, I'm, I've, I'm not a vengeful person with anybody including myself i know i've made a shit ton of mistakes and i continue to make mistakes in life and um you know that it, it hurts for a while and then you have to like you have to forgive yourself like i gotta, I gotta go look back at like 15 16 year old tyson and be like yeah you didn't do this and now your grandfather's dead and i'm like you know like damn, I, w- I wish I could have, I can't, I, the, and then, and then the realist in me is like, you, you, there's nothing you can do about that now, but it's, you know, it's okay. Like you were, you'll do better, um, with other things that are hard to do. You'll try and be more mindful with other things that approach you in life. And you took the lesson from that. You know what I mean? You, you, you look back and like, okay, I made the mistake. You know, are you going to do something productive with it? Or are you going to beat yourself up over it? And and like my grandfather wanted me to have fun in life. He wanted me to move on and be successful. He, um, you know, him and my grandmother told me, my grandmother's still alive. His, his wife, she's 92 years old. And she's like, I always loved you as a son. She told me this recently. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted goodness, you know, for me in my life. So that's... Um, that's, I think, how I've dealt with it. I've looked like, what would they want? How would they have handled this? And they wouldn't want me to sort of wallow in, like, the guilt of, of some of the things I didn't do um, right when I was 15. You know what I mean? And, it, and that's really important to forgive yourself. I think that that's, uh, that's when you get to serenity uh, or a state close to serenity, right? Like, accepting yourself for who you are and, 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 and the mistakes that you've made. Mm-hmm. I think that that's 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 a key part to like moving on from what could be trauma, right? Like mm-hmm. that that's really important. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people beat themselves up for for things that happen, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's that's really dope. What what what's something that you think that people misunderstand about you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost everything. Um, no, it's. Uh, I mean, people. You know, one one of the. That's a good question. I think they understand a lot about, they misunderstand a lot about me and, um, you know, where I fit. Because the first thing we do, not we, but a lot of people do when they meet you is like, yo, you know, you know, oh, you're Tyson, you know, what do you do? You know, that's within the first minute when you meet someone new, like maybe what do you do for work or what do you do for fun? And people begin to like get their boxes out. Like, let me put him in this box. Okay, he's in that box. Let me put him in another box. I'm in and I'm like, oh, you know, I, I DJ. So, and then let's just stay on that, on that path. And like, they, I think they misunderstand what I'm doing as a DJ sometimes. Like, what is he doing? He's like, sometimes he plays some familiar music. Sometimes he's playing some things from like some country speaking some language. And sometimes he's like playing some real boring stuff. And sometimes he's playing like this crazy, like spacey stuff. So I don't think everybody gets me musically. I mean, I could go the route of, of, you know, just come into a set and playing, you know, 25 songs that everybody knows and probably be much more successful as a DJ than I am now. If you're talking about success being like maybe earning a living, I think I've got the skill, the technical skill to like to, to do that. And anyone can kind of grab 25 songs that people know. The majority of people uh, who go to listen to a DJ are not what I would call not necessarily music lovers. They just want to have a good time. And so people want to sing along and have a good time. So I think people look at me as a DJ and they're like, you've been doing this for so long and here you're still playing things that people don't want to necessarily listen to and dance. And some people feel like the way you've described feeling, they're like, they appreciate, you know, they want to find and discover new music. And that's sort of where I find 
the most joy from what I'm doing. Thankfully, I've got a day job, right? I got something that, that pays the bills. It's not DJing because Lord probably knows that if I were trying to make a living um, and have the things I have off of just DJing, I wouldn't be able to do it with the music that I currently play. I would have to, you know, probably play something. And that's not that I'm above it. It's, I don't, I mean, I have nothing against popular music, zero. I don't even think it's necessarily, you know, especially basic. I mean, you can break things down, even pop music in its current state and be like, okay, I, I can kind of understand that. And that's really interesting. And I see why things have moved the way that they have. Um, so it's not like I'm ab above it. It's just, I, it doesn't fill my soul the way that playing the music I do does. And that's what I try and let be sort of my guiding light. And I'm fortunate enough to be in a position to do that in a lot of different ways. And I, I know that you, with your physical therapy, which is your day job, it, it started from you being hurt. Is that correct? Like you, you, you got hurt yeah. and you had to like recover through physical therapy and you figured out like, oh, wow. Like you were a mechanic, you were studying to become a mechanical engineer or yeah. you were studying something. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and then you decided to like switch your profession over to mm -hmm. becoming a doctor of physical therapy. Right. What was that process like? And then how did your music kind of interact with that decision that you were making so um the it, this is interesting i've given this like a lot of thought and it's making me think of, of of other things that sort of you know my adult life i think this is how we've tied all these this is how i've tied a lot of these threads together so um you know as a kid running around jumping around like a monkey and just really banging my body up at an early age breaking my neck doing gymnastics yeah uh you know um like you broke your neck i literally oh, <laughs> i literally wow. broke my neck doing gymnastics and um just whatever ill-advised things on a springboard and <laughs> landing wrong and so anyway i recovered i'm good but um and then and then yeah i, I played like uh, played varsity baseball at lane tech and we were in a port in a game my senior year against Mather High School and uh, whatever. Got into a collision at the at the plate and tore my ACL. And um, I was like, at that point, I was like, yeah, I think I might have a run at like, like scouts coming out to see me a little bit, and like, like from smaller schools. And I thought like, um, who knows, man, let's see what happens. Let's do this. But anyway, the, the tear in my ACL changed that because I didn't get to play like the majority of my senior year mm -hmm. and not get noticed or anything like that. Um, and in retrospect, that wasn't all that great, but anyway, tore my ACL, uh, at lane, you take a course of studies. So it was a technical high school in Chicago. And so you have to take like drafting and you have to take like sheet metal shop and wood, you know, shop and electric shop. And so you're very, my mind was just, it was great. It was like, I hated lane at first because it was so damn hard, but it really, it really helped me. And I, I, I found this fascination with like mechanics and like, damn, this is how it works. And I was just very like into all that and drafting. And I was like winning like drafting competitions in high school. And like, I was like, okay, I'm good at this and I understand it. And I'm pretty good at math and all this sort of thing. So I, uh, I applied into like mechanical engineering programs and it tore my ACL, had to go to therapy, physical therapy after surgery, like two two screws in my leg and I didn't know what to expect. And then I met my therapist, Sally Fanzler. I remember her name still. And she, um, yeah, she was like really chill. She was like, here, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this. And so I was like, oh, I love this. And so after I was done with my rehab with her, uh, I ended up working for her as like a, just like tech, someone who did laundry and someone who like wiped the tables down and someone who like, put oh man, the charts the away. Up, huh? yeah, dude, I just started like, I was like, yo, are you, are you hiring? You know? And she was like, yeah, sure. And so she hired me to help around. And at that point I was an undergrad, uh, like kinesiology and at UIC, just, you know, learning this, you know, study of movement. And, uh, um, then I got into PT school. Like I didn't expect to, it's really competitive, but I applied and I got into PT school and I was like, this is dope. That was by far the hardest thing I've ever done is getting through physical therapy school because I, at the time, I, I mean, I graduated holding my, my son who at the time was like seven months old. I held, I, I held him as I walked down the graduation aisle. Wow. That must've been powerful. It was cool. Yeah. I mean, it was like not even thought out or scripted. I was just like, you know, I wanted him to be there with me. And, um, 
So, but that's to say that like, I was really into what I was doing. I was proud of my accomplishment. Um, I worked really hard. Shout out to my my son's mother, Veronica. She really held me down during that time. And um, it was just a, a really dynamic time. A lot of things were going down at that time with both of our lives. My son coming into the world um, and starting a new career. Good good times, man. Very, really... Um, built a lot of character in me uh those years for sure how did it interact with your music like how did yeah. how were, were you because i imagine going to school was really hard being yeah. a parent was really hard yeah and then on top of that you're still spinning in some like you're you're, you're still playing music yeah. in some way like how how did all that come together yeah well that it, it kind of didn't like i didn't i didn't at that point now we're talking i'm like in my early 20s i i was playing music at home and DJing at home. I wasn't playing out. And really, to be totally honest, I was just like totally involved in school. When I was in physical therapy school, there was no like, no real going out. There was no DJing out. There was no, there was no, not much of a social life at all. There was the priorities that had the shift. And, um, and so that's, that's how that went. Um, And then, but as soon as I like got out of PT school and had all this time in my hands, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't, I literally, I mean, you can in some ways equate it. Now I hope I'm not being, being disrespectful and I've never been locked up, but someone comes out of like the penitentiary from what I understand. It's like, doesn't really know how to get around in the real world. Um, yeah. Like, so, like it's like, socially, how do I, like what? your recondition is like, Oh damn, I forgot what it's like to have like free time. And, um, and so anyway, I, I dove into music and I still do that at rough times, dive, dive into music. Um, I've got, that's my happy place. And so I started de- devoting more time to like, to my music and, uh, you know, really, I got really hungry after that. Cause I could, I could go in those years. Like I can go work seven, eight, nine hours in the clinic, go out at night, you know, if I needed to, to like politic or, or, or gig and, yeah. and do all that sort of thing and then get up and go work just the same and then you know in between there like you know sneak in poppy time and like you know hang out with my son and then you know when my when my son's mother and i split up it was a little it was a little different it was like i had him for days at a time we had joint custody so it was like but you know it went went well we lived a few blocks from one another you know after the dust settled she and i we're still cool. We were friends before we're friends now. You know what I mean? We, we've always like, we still call pick co-parent, even though my son's like, doesn't really need much parenting in many ways. And so far as support and all that, he's, uh, um, but, but yeah, the music took a pause mm-hmm. essentially during, during that time, uh, by and large. I mean, you never stop. It doesn't stop, stop. You sneak it in, but you're not out playing music. I, mean, I, I wasn't. Yeah. Any times where you were like, um, you you were in the fork in the road and and you needed to make decisions that that like led you to be the adult that you are today like something that that somebody in the audience could like relate to that that you would want to share mm-hmm. um and also um acknowledging the vulnerability of sharing something in in a growing process right mm-hmm. well i mean the the decision yes there've been many and i think you know, a couple. I'll just touch on a couple of them, and the the decision to go to to like, you know, you can throw out a bunch of cliches like, you know, you got to take the road less traveled, and if you're scared to do something, it's probably the right thing to do, right? We've read those things, and we we might have been through them or not. Maybe we haven't had the courage to like do the things we know we have to do, the courage to put in the work, to like decide like, okay, I'm gonna jump into school or I'm gonna jump into this uh, business endeavor. And I know it can all go wrong. You know, I know I could be like in a really bad place if this all goes wrong and that's scary. Um, so let, let, let's talk about kind of, you know, just taking that that road like less traveled and like going to a good school. Like, okay, I decided to go to a quote unquote good school in high school and I didn't really want to. Like a lot of my close friends were going to other high schools. I want to have fun at that age, but I, I did it. Um, and you know, you can talk about like, you know, times when, when like 
again, I'm going back to school right now, but, you know, applying into physical therapy school and not thinking you're going to get in and you get in and you like break your back, like putting in all the work to study because it's super hard to get through some of these programs and you do it. But, you know, if we're using that last example, sometimes, you know, that Rick Rubin podcast that I think I talked to you about. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really uh, he, great podcast, yeah, by the way. And he like really just, I think, provided me with a language to speak to this. And it's sometimes decisions are made for you. Sometimes you just have to get out of the way and and let let the chips fall as they will. And so, and and that's been the theme for my life. Whether it's like, you know, you know, as things panned out, like I ended up living with my grandparents during high school. One of the greatest blessings, me uh, becoming a physical therapist. The profession found me essentially through all my injuries and then needing physical therapy. It found me. I mm-hmm. didn't make the decision to like, but I had the courage to proceed with it, but it, it found me and, and I got out of the way of like self-doubt and and just kind of tapped into like the wave that was coming my way and decided like jump on, like do it, you know, just 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 do it. And sometimes it's a conscious decision for sure. And sometimes it's like, I don't know, every, you know, you pick up on the signs that, that are just, or the, the, the movement again of like this wave, like things are going in this direction. Oh, you got a place where you can stay up. Oh, you apply for this grant and you got it up. Oh, you know, you've got accepted in the physical therapy school up. Oh, you're with a woman right now who's like willing to support you while you can't work because you're studying. Oh, like all these things start to like fall. So I've been mostly fortunate through all of this. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and say like, you know, I made the tough decision to, to do X, Y, Z. Same thing with like my physical therapy business. Like I waited way too long to go out on my own. I should have done this a long time ago. So um, I, I think try to get out of your head if your head is telling you like you can't do this or, you know, if there's some sort of story you have in your head about you know, some fear or, or that you're incapable or you don't deserve this. Like you deserve all of it. You deserve everything that the kids who grew up with, you know, uh, and wherever they are with, with all the resources that they have with nice cars and two parents who come from, uh, a, a, a more, you know, a different background than you, like you deserve what they have too. Don't, mm-hmm. don't let the, don't let, don't get caught in the, in the weeds. Don't get caught in the mud. Don't, don't, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of constructs that we, we come up through and with, with, uh, in our, in our youth. And as you, as you grow and you become an adult, you start to say, well, that's, that's not true. And that's not true. And that's not true. And you start to step into your greatness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you start to, you know, you start to, um, just reparent yourself, I guess, I guess it's, you know. And so I guess the the biggest thing for me as it helped for me was to just get out of the way of of myself and some of the self-doubt and lack of confidence and how did how did that happen like when when did you when did you have that self-doubt and how did you deal with it yeah um so I had I I continue to have self-doubt. So it's not like I'm the most confident person right now. It's not like I have it all figured out. I promise you, I know less now about things than I, than I do, but I think I have the experience. Um, and I have kind of the, the, I have some more confidence. I have more trust in myself, but, um, in the, in the, in the things that I, I spoke about, like, what did I do? I just kind of like some inner voice and I'm not even, it's not like someone spoke to me. It's not like that kind of inner voice, but I don't know if I was guided by (laughs) someone or something or led by example, but it just, um, I don't have a great example other than I just got out of the way and let what was happening happen. And it wasn't even like, Oh, I see This was all like through self-reflection. Is there anything like that process of like moving to Cali? What was that like? You know, like yeah. that had to have been scary to to be like, all right, Chicago, I'm out. And I know that there's people would see it on the surface level and be like, you're going to better weather. And mm-hmm. like, but the fact that Cali is way more expensive than Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're, you can potentially start a business here, right? Like what was the, 
the decision making when you were just like, I am not going to invest in Chicago. I'm going to move somewhere else, be an outsider there and invest in that. That, that, that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. And it, it did. Um, just to, to backtrack a little bit when I, just before my son was born, I was wanting to, to leave Chicago just because at that point I had the travel bug and I was like, you know, in my early twenties, I was like, yeah, I'm going to finish school and you know, we're going to go, we're going to go live somewhere else. And we didn't know, you know Miami, New York. We just, I wanted to see, I knew that there was, I love Chicago. I still love Chicago. I come back. People sometimes think I still live here because I come back so much. I just love to touch down and be here. But, um, but I never left because we had the, the, you know, we had our son and I wanted to, um, we needed the fam. We were young too, right? I was 21, 22 and I had my son. And so I needed family support. I needed that social network. And so we stayed didn't go anywhere. But once he graduated high school, um, you know, I, I talked to him about it and, I decided like, okay, now's the time. I had a, a partner, again, things falling into me. I had a partner who was from uh, California at the time. She moved to Chicago to be with me and to like work on what we had. Um, and I was like, cool, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go back to California. I love the Bay Area. I'd been visiting the Bay Area, you know, DJing and I had some friends out there. So I was like, the Bay, the Bay Area seems like a real cool place to be. Let's do it. It's close to where she was from. And uh, where she was from, and I was like, "Let's do it." And yeah, I left back. I left behind like you know years of friendships in some ways. But I left behind. It's not like I disconnected from people because I still kept in touch with them, and I come back and I still see them. But still, there's that. There's a bit of steam that 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 gets lost um, when you're out of sight and out of mind. Um, years of like clients that I had worked with, patients, you know all the relationships that I'd built. So a ton of social capital kind of left behind and be the new kid, as you put it. And I think I undervalued that. I was like, wow, I, I thought I was going to come into California and hit the ground running. And no, it didn't happen like that. Like the gigs were harder to come by. Nobody really knew who I was getting patience. You know, it all took work. Like now six, seven years later, I'm, I'm like, I feel I'm up to speed in the professional world. Uh, DJing, uh, Bay Area is smaller than Chicago, so there's just not as many venues and people there to establish. I'm happy to just play all the, like, the, not all the, but like the guest gigs that I get. And I spin mostly now, like, either here in Chicago or down in LA. I've got like more uh, social capital in those places. But anyway, how did that happen and how it all came together? Again, I kind of got out of the way and I, I, I let it happen. Um, and some of it was just me being straight up dumb really and like not not giving giving the decision kind of the respect it deserved if you will mm -hmm. and maybe a little arrogance and thinking like ah there's you know i'm not going to skip a beat there was definitely a beat and multiple beats that were skipped during that process so during that beat that you skipped right yeah. like what was it like how did it impact your self-esteem Right. Mm -hmm. Cause like all of a sudden you have this social capital. Everybody knows you when you walk around, like your DJ new life, your FEX, like <laughs> people jock you, I imagine. Right. Like, and not, no. not in a bad way, but they're no, just no, like, no. Hey man, like when's the next, or like there was always a way to connect to you. Right. Because people knew who you were. Right. What was it like to go somewhere new where nobody knew you? It's, it's like going to high school, you know, it's like going to, yeah. to, 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 you know, college. It's like, you know, going to a party where you don't know anybody. It's like, it's, it's kind of scary. It's like, oh shit, what, what am I doing here? What did I do? Um, uh, so it's, it's like, you know, you, 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 you do things like that and you see what you're made of. And some of us develop like mantras. Right. And so, you know, I get into like the crazy, the, like the meta voice in my head and like just I, I have mantras or I have things that I tell myself to encourage myself you know whether it's like a reminder like hey man you belong here just as much as everyone else belongs here and you deserve these patients and you deserve to start your own company just like everyone else does like do it it's not only for you it's for people who who might look to you as some sort of mentor it's for you know your children to see like this is what my 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 pops did. This is what, you know, and it just, just the younger, more impressionable people, you're going to, 
you know like pay it forward right where i'm at where i'm at where you're at where you know our peers are at we we're in a position where we're going to leave an impression on somebody somewhere and so when you talk about like your purpose your intention for what you're doing it's bigger than you and so sometimes you tap into that like i'm going to do this for x for whoever right and I do that with all sorts of things in like workout. I'm going to kick my butt with a workout. And I know this is going to hurt. This is going to be, I'm going to do it for my, my aunt who's sick right now. I'm going to pull through for her. So you set a motivation, you tap into that motivation when it's like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Or I don't think I can like, I don't think I belong here. And you're like, no, you, you, you tap into these things to find the courage to redirect yourself. Because again, those voices in your head, the stories that we have of ourselves where we're not like at our best. Yeah. The little kid, the, the, the kid. And for some of us, it is the little kid, right? It's the, the, whatever trauma we've all been through trauma. We've all have our own, it's all relative, but we all have our trauma. And, and for some of us, yeah, we've got issues is, is that, you know, from, from childhood, you know, and, you know, I've been through, through therapy, like on a more consistent basis, never like hardcore therapy. Um, like weekly, like some people go weekly. I've, I've been through like s- short spins with that. Now I kind of do it just ad hoc, you know, if I need somebody to help me process things or to give me some perspective. But I also find that's not the only way. Like I find value in like talking to trusted friends, trusted adults. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner is really good right now. Uh, shout out to Sivan. She's, she's really good at like, you know, communication. That's the number one thing with with many relationships, especially like a... a, a um, you know, an intimate relationship. And so we communicate especially well and uh, I feel really safe with like talking to her about things. So anyway, the, my point is that um, it's just tapping in uh, when you can. And then I think getting out of the way in other instances and just let what seems to be happening happen. Mm-hmm. Don't talk yourself out of certain things around you that are just moving you in this certain direction that, if you have the foresight, appear to be positive. This appears to be po- like I, I don't regret moving to California. I feel that's where I belong right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I might be there forever. I might not. You know, I don't know. I don't really like. I don't have. I I don't necessarily like make. Yeah, I don't necessarily make plans. I mean, I have direction. I like to say that. I think that I, I like this to happen. I think I'd like to like maybe you know, live in Chicago one or two months of the year, live in California five or six, seven months of the year, maybe be in New York or somewhere else for a month or two of the year. I'm very like mentally, mentally like transient or transitional. I'm like into the idea of like trying it all out and being open to what opportunities present themselves to me, you know, and having the the courage and knowing like, okay, I've been through this hard part of my life. I've been through that hard part of my life. Like things always work out not always but they they usually work out if if you trust yourself if you trust the tools that you have whether it's like you know, you have a certain certain skill set a certain knowledge a certain understanding you're willing to ask questions and that's big if you you know a lot of times we just don't ask the right questions we just go with the unknown and that that can i mean that that's such a broad statement but um seeking help like you know asking someone about things that you don't understand maybe about them or about a certain subject or about a certain endeavor that you have like find a mentor you know put the time and put the work in and uh, first and foremost just like have a genuine love or at least an interest in what you're doing and be willing to let go of it because sometimes you start these endeavors and it's like, yeah, well, I don't think this is working. Like you don't need to run things into the ground. You can sort of reflect back and be like, this is working. This is working. I try to change this. I try to change that. You know, I don't know. Like get away from like the founderism that you might have. And no, oh, that's true. The founderism yeah. is very important yeah, to let go of because it'll make you. I mean, it would have probably made you hold on to that uh, foreign exchange. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, it was losing, losing esteem and with good reason. It wasn't just like, it wasn't like, oh, Tyson, you're no longer a good DJ. You're no longer like able to make the crowd move. You're no longer bringing it. I didn't, I mean, I could have gone there, but I was like, hell no, I'm a better DJ now than I've ever been. And I can continue in my opinion to get, 
to get better insofar as like developing the ear and like, you know, curating music and curating an experience. But, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, yeah, there are a lot of things that go into throwing a party of which very little has to do with the music that you're playing. Word, word. Any, any last words of wisdom? Whatever yeah, you yeah, tell yeah. Them. I think, I mean, trying to wrap up kind of a lot of what I did. This was, this, thank you. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Because this was like a, yeah, for sure. There was like a processing session for me. I didn't plan any of this out. I just came here and rambled and, and riffed. But, um, I, I think, yeah, um, find, find your strength, whatever that looks like to you. Uh, get the stories out of your head that, that, uh, create doubt and fear. Um, and, and find the way in which to do that. It's not, there's, there's not a formula. It's all very complicated, but you don't have to make it more complicated by listening to negative stories in your head and the self-doubt and the fear. Um, and sometimes have the courage to step away. Sometimes have the courage to, to dive in when it feels right. Listen to your gut. Very important. And look out for me, uh, DJ New Life at DJ New Life. I hope to be coming back to Chicago regularly and gigging. You can check out um, my my website, thedjnewlife.com, T-H-E-D-J-N-E-W-L-I-F-E.com. And uh, physical therapy, we didn't tap into that a lot, but yeah, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, and that is mobileptclinic.com, M-O-B-I-L-E-P-T-C-L-I-N-I-C, Mobile PT Clinic. And you get your telehealth on, or you can get me in person when I'm here in Chicago or in the Bay Area. So, yeah. Thanks. All right, brother. Yeah, well, man. Signing off. Here we go. Dedicated to the underdog. Because I see you working on your craft. 500 and growing. Visit 500andgrowing.com for more creative content. Dedicated to your craft. Read and study the math. Making goals and taking a stand Original so you trailblaze a path In tune with your inner master plan Footworking through the obstacles of life Sticking and moving, what's not right? Keeping at peace, but ready to fight Protecting and keeping your light bright In your eye and your mind Illuminating the blind, seeing the signs So brothers and sisters, get on your grind Get on your grind, get up off those knees This is the time we find ourselves Improve our health and never settle Take it into a higher level Sound mind Growth is mental, purposeful movements, never accidental. Thank you for listening to the 500 and Growing podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, we have incredible guests lined up that will be sharing how they came to be extraordinary at whatever they do. And stay tuned. Follow at 500 and Growing podcast on Instagram for updates and also visit 500 and Growing dot com for more creative content.